Hello and welcome to another Bible study. We're back in the Old Testament and we're learning about Samuel the prophet. And we saw last time how his mother felt that she was very badly treated by Peninnah, which she was. She was very badly treated by Eli the priest who thought she was drunk at the shrine when she wasn't. And maybe secretly in her heart she felt a bit badly treated by God who'd chosen to close her womb. But Hannah went on trusting, she went on praying, she went on worshipping. And then when she was given her son, Samuel, she decided to devote him to the Lord entirely for the whole of his life. And once he was weaned, when he was a toddler or just a little bit older maybe, she left him at the tabernacle in a safe place. Except she hadn't. Except it wasn't. There were things going on at the tabernacle which should never have been tolerated. Let me read to you from chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, verse 12. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. They were priests. One of them would probably be the high priest in, one, in the course of time. But they were stealing the best cuts of meat from the worshippers who brought these sacrifices to the Lord. Not only that, they were stealing with threats of violence, stealing with menaces. It says they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But it gets worse in verse 22. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature, and in favour with the Lord and with people. Hophni and Phinehas were sleeping with the women who were ministering at the gate, at the outside of the Ark of the Covenant, of, of the tabernacle. Women were allowed there, but certainly not for the purposes of the priests having sexual fun with them. And Eli told them off. But they took no notice, and they continued with their immorality. This was the kind of culture, this was the context in which Samuel was being brought up. I'm not going to read the next section of chapter 2 to you, verses 27 to the end of the chapter, 
but it tells how God sent an anonymous prophet to Eli with a chilling prophecy. He said, Eli, your priesthood will be cut short. None of your children will reach old age. Hophni and Phinehas, your sons, will die on the same day and God will appoint a new faithful priest. It's interesting, isn't it? A new faithful priest. In the short term, Samuel. In the long term, the Lord Jesus. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do all that is in my heart and my mind. But it was in that sinful context that Samuel was being brought up. But he rode above it. In 2.11 we read, Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. And in verse 21 we're told, uh, the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And then in verse 26, the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people. Samuel was in a degraded and in a disobedient context and culture, but nevertheless, he rose above it and he followed the Lord. Eli was an ineffective father and an ineffective priest. But in spite of that environment, Samuel ministered to the Lord. Let me read verses 18 to 21. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Ekana and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. An ephod was a garment, a little bit like a, a waistcoat, and it has priestly connotations. In Exodus, there's the description of a very fine and special ephod that the high priest would wear. But here's Samuel, not yet a priest, but will be one day, and he's given an ephod to wear as an indication of his future priesthood. But also, Hannah brings to him a new coat, a new robe every year. Every time she went to Shiloh, for the offering, for the sacrifice, she took him a garment. Now, this is rather touching. You can imagine Hannah at home with Elkanah during that year, saying to Elkanah, darling, do you think I ought to give him longer sleeves because his arms might have grown longer? Hmm. What about the hem of the garment? Do you think it'll be dragging in the dust and the mud or should I make it a bit shorter than the one I made it last year? She loves Samuel. She misses Samuel. Her heart and her thoughts are with Samuel all the time. And she's making this special robe for him, which she takes to him every year. And Eli prayed that Hannah would have more children. And indeed she did. Three brothers for Samuel and two sisters for Samuel. But Samuel was in Shiloh when they were in Ramah. The boy was growing up in the presence of the Lord. Doesn't that remind you of Luke chapter 2 verse 52? Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. He grew in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people, just like the Lord Jesus. Then in chapter 3, 
Samuel is called to be a prophet. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realised that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Wouldn't we just love to know Samuel's age at this time? We don't. The oldest record I can find is from Josephus. Now, Josephus was a Roman historian writing 1,000 years after the time of Samuel. He says that Samuel would have been about 12, but we don't know. We're told in verse 1 that the word of the Lord was rare. It wasn't absent. As I said in chapter 2, an anonymous man of God, a prophet, did go to Eli to give him that chilling prophecy about his own death and the death of his sons. But the, Lord, the words, Lord's word was rare in those days. Not many people were having visions. And Samuel is asleep near to the lamp of God. Now, if this is the seven-branch lampstand, which had to be in the holy place, it means that Samuel's sleeping in the holy place. Not the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, the little room outside. Samuel was sleeping there. And it was the job of the priest to keep those lamps alight all through the hours of darkness, through the nighttime hours. So this gives us a location of time. The lamp is going out, but nobody's lighting it again. So this is the dawn. It's the dawn of a new day. The dark hours are fading away. The light hours are coming. And Samuel is sleeping in the holy place. And God calls him three times. How often does God have to speak to you more than once? How often does, I have to, God, does God have to say to you again and again and again something challenging which you need to hear, which you need to respond to? God is patient with us. I'm also impressed by Samuel's self-discipline. I think if I were a 12-year-old boy and I'd been shouted at three times in the night and got up to speak to my priest... I think I'll be a bit grumpy. There's no sign of Samuel being grumpy here. There's a lovely 19th century hymn that has been written about this event. Hushed was the evening hymn. The temple courts were dark. The lamp was burning dim before the sacred ark when suddenly a voice divine rang through the silence of the shrine. 
The old man, meek and mild, the priest of Israel, slept. His watch, the temple child, the little Levite kept. And what from Eli's sense was sealed, the Lord to Hannah's son revealed. Notice in verse 7, it says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. That word yet is all important. Eli's sons, we're told, had no regard for the Lord. They did not know the Lord. They were contemptuous of the sacrifices of the Lord. But Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He was worshipping the Lord. We're told that in chapter 1, verse 28. He was ministering before the Lord in 2, verse 11 and 3, verse 1. He was religiously devout, but as yet he had no personal relationship with the Lord. He knew about Yahweh, but he did not yet know Yahweh. He had not heard from God. And this is a challenge to all of us who are hardline churchgoers. We routinely go every Sunday morning, come hell or high water, we're always there. But, do we know the Lord? Are we going there to increase our knowledge of the Lord? Are we going there to deepen our relationship with him? Or are we doing it merely out of habit? Do we know the Lord in our worship? In verse 9, it was Eli who, for whom the penny dropped first. And he said, now go back and if the Lord speaks to you, then this is how to reply. And God did. He said, Samuel, Samuel, just as earlier he had said, Abraham, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob, Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel. Why would God speak to his servants twice by their given name? This is to attract their attention, isn't it? If, you, if somebody speaks to you by your name, you listen, but if they repeat your name, your ears prick up and you want to attend to what is being said. And in verse 10, Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And this is what God said in verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons uttered blasphemies against God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide anything from me, anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognised that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. God says to Samuel, I'm going to give you a message. 
and everyone hears it, their ears are going to tingle. This is a sign of severe judgment. In 2 Kings chapter 21, at the time of the wretched king Manasseh, God said, I am going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And again through Jeremiah, God said, I am going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. And then he smashed the jar to show that God was going to allow Judah to be smashed by the Babylonians. This was a stern, severe statement of judgment. And God summarised there in verses 11 to 14 the same words the unknown prophet, the anonymous prophet, had said back in chapter 2. Eli knew of his son's blasphemies and their disobedience, but he had failed to restrain them, and therefore judgment was going to come, and the two sons will soon be dead. And Eli will soon be replaced by a faithful priest. And there, in the short term, Samuel certainly, but in the long term, a faithful priest, surely this is pointing forward to the Lord Jesus himself. Now in Numbers chapter 15 it says, anyone who sins defiantly utters blasphemy against the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel because they have despised the Lord's word and broken his commands. They must surely be cut off. Their guilt remains on them. And this is what is happening here. Samuel is having to tell Eli that there is no atonement, there is no forgiveness there is no way back for his sons. To be told there is no atonement for sin is a dreadful thing. And surely this reminds us of what the Lord Jesus said about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit comes to someone and teaches that person about the, who Jesus is and how Jesus went to the cross as a sinless man but bore your sins, his sins on his own shoulders as he died on the cross, making an atonement for sin, and then rose from the dead to authenticate the fact that his dying sacrifice at Calvary was an atoning sacrifice. If people turn their back on that and say, I want nothing, I don't want to hear about it, I don't believe it, it's a load of rubbish, it's nothing to do with me, there's no forgiveness. There can be no forgiveness because they're rejected. They've rejected the only source of atonement that there is, which is the death of Christ on their behalf. And a similar thing is happening here. These boys have despised the atoning sacrifices and stolen from Yahweh the best meat and the fat, which was always devoted to God. And there's no way back for them because there is no sacrifice that will atone for such sins. And Samuel, when he wakes up, well, can you imagine his nerves? Can you imagine how he trembled? Can you imagine how he'd think, well, I've heard this from God. And there's the old man, the priest, my, my senior, my manager, my leader. What am I going to say? And Eli takes the initiative. He says, Samuel, did you hear from God? Yes, I did. What did God say? Well, 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 well. Come on, Samuel, out with it. Tell me everything. I want to hear even the worst things that you were told. If you don't tell me, I'll ask God to deal with you ever so severely. Don't hide anything. And so Samuel did tell him what God has said to the boy during the night. Look at this verse, verse 18. 
Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. I'd like to have that on camera. I'm not quite sure of the intonation of those words. I'm not quite sure if Eli was saying, I praise God, God's in control, God is sovereign, here's the Lord, he'll do the right thing. God only does good things anyway. Or if he's sounding resigned and in despair, here's the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. For me, I think Eli was in despair. I think he'd heard this prophecy from God through Samuel about his own death and the deaths of his sons, the fact that there was no atonement available for them anymore, and he was in despair. And the chapter ended by the writer summarising Samuel's prophetic ministry. He says that Samuel grew up to be a prophet and he ministered from Dan to Beersheba. Now Dan was in the north of the country, Beersheba was in the south. We would say from Land's End to John O'Groats. We would say from the south of the country to the north. In the Old Testament, it's the other way around. From Dan, the northernmost town, to Beersheba, the southernmost town. Across the land, for the whole nation, Samuel was bringing God's word. God continued to make himself known to Samuel at Shiloh. And his word was being known throughout the land. Samuel's word came to all Israel it says. Now, what can we get out of this? Didn't we read in Romans 15 last time that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us and to bring us endurance and encouragement and hope? There must be some blessing in this for us. Do you know these chapters are all about God? God speaks to children. God spoke to Samuel as a child. Jesus welcomed children, didn't he? He brought them, he laid his hands on them, he spoke the word of God to them, he explained to them the kingdom of God. God speaks to children, and for those of you who are working among children, seeking to teach them, maybe as teachers in the church, or maybe as parents at home, you're seeking to teach your children about God, God can speak to your children and bless them and save them as young as they are. We've also seen how alike Samuel was to Jesus. These two verses, Samuel grew in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and the people. Samuel and Jesus are so alike. And in this chapter, Samuel managed to rise above the temptations that were being offered to him by the bad examples of Hophni and Phinehas and Jesus likewise rose above the temptations that were offered to him by the devil. Another thing we can learn is that it's possible to know about the Lord and not know the Lord. It's possible to be religiously devout but to have no real heart relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to constantly be checking our hearts to ensure that we're loving the Lord with all our hearts and not just going through routines and procedures and ceremonies when we come to worship. We also learn about God, that he is patient. Three times he said to Samuel, Samuel, wake up, I've got a word for you. And three times Samuel went to Eli to ask him what was going on. God is patient with us, 
And he reminds us time and time again of what we need to hear. But don't mess with God's patience. Hophni and Phinehas messed with God's patience. They messed with God's patience so much that there came a point where there was no atonement left for their sins. What a terrible state to be in, where there's no atonement, no forgiveness, no mercy. There is no covering of your sins because your heart has become so hardened against the truth of Jesus Christ. And God has provided for us an anointed one, an anointed prophet, an anointed priest, and as we shall see when David comes along, an anointed king. Jesus is our anointed prophet, priest and king. He's our prophet because he teaches us about God. He's our priest because he atoned for our sins on the cross and he prays for us, for you by name, before his heavenly Father's throne. And he's king because he overrules everything that happens to those who trust him. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And therefore, everything that happens in your life is under the ultimate sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Returning to that hymn, the hymn writer closes it in the words of a prayer. O oh, give me Samuel's ear, the open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of thy word, like him to answer at thy call and to obey thee first of all. O give me Samuel's heart, a lowly heart that waits where in thy house thou art, or watches at thy gates, by day and night, a heart that still moves at the breathing of thy will. O give me Samuel's mind, a sweet unmurmuring faith, obedient and resigned to thee in life and death, that I may read with childlike eyes truths that are hidden from the wise. Amen.